Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. My name's Nick, and in case you're confused, um, I'm not the guy who was just up here. We didn't have a wardrobe change and a haircut, okay? That's not what we did. Um, There are two of us on staff, so you got to see Nick, our executive pastor, here just a moment ago. My name is Nick Mance. I get to work in student ministries, um, and we were just so thankful that you guys are here this morning. Uh, Just to, real quick, just to make sure we're all up to speed, um, we are having some technical difficulties. If you didn't catch that already, if you missed the announcement earlier, our slides are are just having some issues. We we love tech, right? And of course, tech fails, and we're sitting here going, we're going to make do, we'll see what we got. So if, by some chance, like, we get way ahead of the slides, we're going to go with it. And I'll do my best to help you with the notes and everything that are in the bulletin. But just to catch everybody up, we're in this series in the book of Titus. We started this a few weeks ago. It's called Live Well, Do Good. It's the Apostle Paul who's been writing to Titus. Titus is one of his disciples that he sent out to the island of Crete. And he's gone out to Crete, and he's there, and he's living, and Paul is like, all right, Titus, I'm going to teach you how to help people understand what it really looks like to live with Jesus and how to live that out into the communities that you're a part of. And last week, uh, Nick, our executive pastor, he actually talked about legalism. And if you haven't had a chance yet, if you weren't here and you missed that sermon, you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, do yourself a favor and go and listen to it. It was by far one of the best sermons about legalism and how we're to be free of that that I've ever heard. I cannot, I cannot tell you how much you should go and listen to that sermon. It was just really, really good. And the key point that Nick kept bringing up was that legalism has problems that arise when we allow our preferences to become our essentials. Translation is when we have a, a, a preference that we elevate to doctrine, when we have a preference on, I like this color of the carpet, and I'm going to make it like, you know, Jesus said, honor your parents. It's like honoring the carpet. Like, that's when problems arise. And, and what Nick talked about is like, that's not what we're supposed to be. We are not supposed to be legalistic. We are free because of what Christ has done. We are free because of the grace that he has given to us. To, because of this, this communion supper that we're going to celebrate here in a little while, we are free because he paid our debt. And that is why we get to live in freedom, not in bondage anymore. That's why we don't have to allow for preferences to dictate how we engage with other people. And, and what happens, I think, with legalism is this. Legalism leads to isolation. If you pause and think about that for a moment, when we allow our preferences to become an essential, what happens is we look at everybody else involved and we go, because you don't like it my way, you just stand over there with the rest of the sinners. Right? Because we somehow think we're more pious than they. And we, and we, we push them over here, we marginalize people. And what we actually do is we end up withdrawing from community. We pull back from fellowship with other people. And we're called to something radically different. In fact, what I would argue, what I think Paul is going to talk about today in Titus 2 is this. We aren't called to live a life of isolation. We are called to live a life of community with God and other believers. When we understand that we are not held in bondage to preconceived notions or or, or, or preferences that we are held in freedom by the blood of Christ, what we realize is that community is what we are crafted for. Now, I do just want to take a moment and say this. I know there are some people in here today, I would be foolish not to think this, who've been hurt by community. Whether it's by a friendship, a coworker, an employer, maybe with somebody in a, a small group, maybe it was even by 
a church, perhaps this church. First of all, let me say I'm sorry. That is never what community is supposed to be about. And if you've found yourself there and you've been hurt by that, please know that I get it. As somebody who has walked through pain in groups, pain in churches, who has been just hurt in some really deep ways, I get it. But here's my challenge to you. Hear God's word about community this morning. If you've pulled back from community because you've been hurt, do not let past hurt stop you from experiencing the overwhelming love and restoration that Christ offers you. And sometimes that takes place in community as the body of Christ represents Christ and helps you to move through that hurt to be restored to even greater places than you were before. So I would challenge you to just hear God's word this morning and to see what he has in store for you. Like I said, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles and follow along, there's one in the pew. Or if you want to see if we can get the te- keep, keep working, we're going to have it on the screen too. We're going to try, all right? Here we go. So Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Likewise, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. You freeze? Might have frozen. Hang on. Let's see. To be self-controlled in everything, set them apart, or set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you, oh, wow, we jumped, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, to not talk back to them, to not steal from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So right away, Paul addresses uh, a few different groups in this text. And, and obviously we kind of see in the beginning that he has like men and women, older and younger generations, and then we have the slaves that he speaks to in the latter portion of the text. And, and what I want to do is I, I just want to help us to understand the culture that's happening a little bit here. Paul isn't arguing... To, to have segregated groups, like to have older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and slaves. It's not what he's arguing for. What Paul is actually doing is he's writing to communities that have already been established. This has been a way of life in Crete, that, that men would congregate together and they would kind of break up by age range, that women would congregate together and break up by age range. What they did, and I blame the, the people of Crete for this, is they forever set up what junior high dances would look like. I mean, think about it. I mean, some of you remember that. Some of you are there. You're living it, right? You know, it's like boys over here. And they're all like, and then over here, it's the girls. And they're like, they smell so bad. They're dumb, right? I mean, thanks, Crete. They set it up. That's just what they did, okay? But here's the thing. Paul is going, rather than tell you as followers of Jesus to come out of your community, I'm going to encourage you to dig deeper in. So I'm going to speak directly to the communities that you're a part of and challenge you to live like Jesus in those communities, that's why we don't see Paul just give like this blanket statement. He's going to speak directly to the different communities that people are a part of. 
And so the first one he speaks to are these older guys. And I, and I, I just have to say, I love the fact that Paul doesn't use ages because it makes me feel good. Because I sit there and I go, I don't know if I'm there yet. He didn't say, he didn't say it was 33. I'm doing all right. Um, but he speaks to these older guys. He's like, here you go. He's like, you guys need to be temperate. You guys need to be worthy of respect, self-controlled. And what Paul's doing is he's speaking to these guys who arguably, at this time in their life, on the island of Crete, the culture was this, self-advancement, no matter the cost, no matter who you burn, what relationships you break, it's all about you and getting what you want, what you deserve, when you want it, how you want it, no matter what. And so he tells these guys, he's like, hey, hang on. He's like, first of all, you need to be temperate, you need to check yourself. You really need to moderate how you're approaching your life because you're not doing a really good job at it. In fact, you're, you're kind of coming across like a jerk. You need to really be temperate. You need to slow down and think about the people in your life. He says, be temperate, worthy of respect. And if you stop and think about this for a moment, if we were a society that was all about self-advancement and you were willing to sacrifice anybody and everybody to get what you want, nobody's going to want to respect you. Nobody in that society respected anybody because at one moment you could be best friends and then you're stabbing that person in the back to get what's theirs. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, what you need to do is you need to be men who are worthy of respect. That when people see you, they go, there's something different about that guy. People want want to know more about him. They want to follow him. He's not stabbing people in the back. Something's different about that guy. He goes, be worthy of respect. He goes, and also be self-controlled. Which is interesting because usually that's like, we'll see, he actually says this to younger guys, but he says it to the older guys as well. He goes, be self-controlled. Meaning, understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Don't just run and, like, and, and do something off the cuff. Just don't say something just really quick and, and to hurt people. Be thinking about what you're doing. Be self-controlled in how you approach your community. Be mindful of how you're engaging with people. Understand that you need to process And care about others. But he goes on and he says next, he goes, and you need to be sound in faith, love, and endurance. Almost sounds like marriage vows, doesn't it? And I don't think Paul missed that here. Because the sad thing is that these men would actually try to run over their families for self-advancement too. I don't know about you guys, but like in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, how, how can... How could you do that? I, I could never think about doing that to Elise. About looking to, to, to push her down so I could elevate myself. But that's what they did. And he goes, no, he goes, in fact, you guys need to reassess. You need to remember to what you were called to by the Savior that you follow. You need to remember that you are to be men who are sound in faith, love, and endurance. You need to make sure that you're square up with God. You need to make sure that you are aware of who God is in your life because that's going to radically shape how you engage with others. You need to be sound in love. You need to love your families, love your spouse, love your kids. You need to love your communities. It's not about self-advancement. It's about Christ advancement. He goes, and then you need to endure. And I think the reason he puts endurance there is because, let's be honest, right? We're really good at doing something for a couple days, a couple weeks, and then we fall back into our habits. And Paul goes, nope, no excuses. You need to endure. You are called to something greater than this. You are called to be something greater than who you think you are. You need to step into that, and you need to lead out of it. So he charges these older guys. He's like, this is what you are to do. 
lead well and do good. And then he switches and he speaks to the older woman. He says, likewise, he goes, hey, you guys need to be reverent in the way you live. He's saying you need to be women that when other people look at you, they hold you in respect. They see there's something different in your lives. When they look at you, they go, I don't get it. Everybody else is doing this, and you're over here doing this. What's going on? That when they see you, they acknowledge that something is different in your life, and they want to know more about it. Remember, we're not advocating for self-advancement. We're advocating for Christ advancement. And this is what Paul is challenging them with. He's like, look, when people look at you, they should see something different. And he goes, don't be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Again, what he's doing is he's speaking to the culture. The women at that point would speak poorly about everybody because, again, they're looking to advance themselves. They're looking to gain as much as they possibly can. And Paul's like, stop. Just stop. That's not what following Jesus is about. Following Jesus isn't about talking poorly about others. Following Jesus is about advocating for the gospel, about loving the least of these. Stop slandering. And don't be addicted to much wine. He doesn't say don't drink. He just says don't go crazy. Because again, in this, in this culture, overindulgence was always happening. Because you're looking for whatever felt good for you. And he goes, no, don't, don't be given to that. Don't overindulge. Don't use something as a crutch. What you should be doing is leaning deeper into Jesus and letting him change your life. So that, that way when people see you, they don't see somebody who's out there talking poorly, drinking away their life. They see somebody who's worthy of reverence because you're following after Jesus Christ. He says, this is how you should live. Then he gets into talking about younger women. And he says, what needs to happen is older women need to be pouring to younger women. And he says, here's what you need to teach these younger women. Teach them to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and subject to their husbands. And I think this is a part of the text where Maybe there's some things that we just heard that might, you know, not sit so well in, in our hearts, if we were honest. Because culturally, we don't like some of these words. But what I want to do is I want to look at this and, and see what Paul is actually calling us to. Because the first part, he says, teaching younger women to love their husbands and their children. What Paul is saying is this. You need to care about your families. Because just as the men would step on and over their families, so would the moms. I can't imagine in today's culture of seeing a mom with an infant using that child as leverage to gain something in life. But that's exactly what's happening in Titus. And Paul is, and Paul is challenging these women. He's saying, look, don't do that. That's not what you were called to. You were called to be a mom and a wife who loves and cares for your family. Love your husband, love your kids. And when you think back, it's like, well, of course these women wouldn't want to love their husbands because if their husbands had to be taught how to love them, it's not being reciprocated. And Paul is saying, look, we are training one another. We are growing together. We have to reassess, reevaluate, and re-solidify who we are in Christ. That way we can move forward. So he says, love your husband and your children. Then he goes forward and he says this. He goes, also, be self-controlled and pure. And what he's saying is, he, he, if you notice, self-control comes up a lot here. In fact, he says this to every group. He's like, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Because he wants us to understand that, that we are to be people that we don't just fly off the handle. We don't just get upset because of a small infraction. He wants us to be people that, that, that when we 
are seen by our communities. They see Christ. They don't see an angry or bitter person. They see Christ in us. And he's like, teach them to be self-controlled and to be pure. And, and I just want to make this very clear. He's not talking about the purity movement of the 90s. That's not what Paul is talking about. The 90s weren't invented yet. All right? I mean, just not the 90s we have. He, I mean, they, AD 90, but that's a different story. Uh, but here, here's what Paul is saying. If we go all the way back to the beginning, he talks about having sound doctrine. What he is doing, he's saying, look, sound doctrine means you're looking to be like Jesus. In everything you do, say, and think, you are looking to be like Christ. And our example of purity is Christ. And what he is saying is not that you have to be like this thing where, where you, you are involved in the movement. He goes, no, you need to be involved in this thing that's called a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to radically change your life. And therefore, your whole life will look differently as a result. He goes, I want people to see Christ in you because he is the only one who makes people pure. He is the only one who makes people white as snow. That is what people need to see. He goes, this is who you are called to be, are representatives of Jesus Christ. Be pure like Christ is pure. Then he goes on, and he says the next part, he goes, teach them to be busy at home. Let me pause here for a moment and say, I don't think that Paul is saying that all women need to stay at home, never have a job, to tend the home, to clean, to cook, and take care of the... I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Because arguably, if you look through other epistles that Paul has written, he talks about women who are leaders in the church. I don't think Paul ever advocates to put women down. I don't think that's his style. I think what Paul is saying is this. Is he's speaking to these women who would often be at home, these younger women, and he's saying, look, when you get home, he goes, it is so easy when you're looking to engage all around to disengage when you come home. I mean, think about it. I think the same is true in our lives. How many of us, when we come home, either from work or from school, our first thing is to decompress. How? Turn the TV. Pull out one of these to play Angry Birds, right? Or your zombie apocalypse survivor game, whatever you have. Hey, no judgment, okay? Right? Or maybe it's to just, you know, sit back in your chair, to tune out the world, to close your eyes, and to sleep while your family's home. The same can be said was true in the island of Crete at this time, that the women would come home and they would just tune out from their families. I think what Paul is actually advocating here is that when we're home, we are still to be investing in our communities because arguably that is our most important community to be investing into. That we are to be investing into the lives of our kids, in the lives of our spouses, in the lives of our roommates, in the lives of those in community with us. We are not given a free pass to check out just because it's been a long day. We are to be pouring into our families and those closest to us. And I think that's what Paul is advocating here. That we don't just pull back and say, it's not my time. We see our families and we go, this is my time. And arguably, if you find that you have no time for your family, I would encourage you to find other things to cut out. Because family is the most important relationship you can have next to Jesus Christ. And if you find that struggle in the home, let me encourage you to maybe take some time to step back and assess if there's something you can trim to make sure that you're pouring into your family more. And I think that's what Paul is advocating for here with these young women. So he says, I want you to be busy at home. But then he goes on, he's like, and be kind. I love that. Be nice to people. Like, you can't say it any plainer. Paul's like, just be nice. In a culture that isn't nice, be nice. 
I think George, about a month ago, he goes, imagine if the world knew Christians, not by what they're against, but by what they're for, right? Imagine if that's how people saw us. They go, wow, there's something really nice about that person. They love really well. They're really kind. That's who we're to be. And then lastly, he says, and also teach them to be subject to their husbands. And we go, I don't like that word, that that word husbands. No, no, subject, right? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, We don't like that word subject because we're like, that sounds, mm, it sounds like you just, you know, keep the woman down, just stay there, stay in the home and clean. And that's what we're to do. And that's where you should be. And it's like, that's not what Paul is advocating for. Because actually, if you go back to the very beginning, when he talks to the older generation of guys, he's like, hey, remember, you need to be guys who are worthy of respect, that you're loving others well. You need to be guys who are championing for your families. He, he's talking to these women. He goes, look, I get it. It's broken. I get it. The relationship is broken. He goes, but the reality is this, is that we as followers of Jesus Christ are to represent in our marriages Christ's marriage to the church. And if you go back to what Christ describes as his marriage to the church, you see that they are mutually submissive to one another. And I know there's another four-letter word, right? Submission. Right? But if you look at arguably what happens is the church is to submit to Christ and then Christ submitted to the church by dying on the cross, which arguably is the greatest act of submission ever, correct? And then if you look at these, right? If I can actually get it off, I don't know if I can. If you look at these, right? These wedding bands that quite a few of us wear. If you look at those, there's no beginning and no end. And it's interesting when you read about marriage, it's what? Two become one. Right? That's not fighting for the right to be right. It's not fighting for the ability to be in control. You're fighting for one another. And so when he's telling these younger women, when he says, I want you to be subject to your husbands, what he's advocating for is not a role where we are putting women down and forcing them to obey everything. What it is, is he's arguing for a picture of what Christ is to the church, what the church is to Christ, where we are serving one another out of mutual love, respect, and understanding of what Christ has done for us. That is what Paul is saying here. In a culture where that was not the case, he put it in blunt words so they would understand that. That's the purpose. Not to hold people in restraint or bondage, but to set them free by what Christ has done for each and every one of us. Then Paul goes on, he speaks to young men. It's interesting that he starts off with the young men. He goes, be self-controlled. Like in the other ones, like that's kind of like one of the latter pieces with the young guys. He's like, I'm going to teach you something. Slow your roll. Breathe. Stop eating sugar. Catch your breath. Mountain Dew is bad. All right? He's like, self-control. Woo-saw a little bit, my friend. Okay? Pause. Think. Think again. Then speak. Be self-controlled in how you engage with the culture around you, how you engage with your communities. Understand that God has called you more to more than just thinking quick and having quick wit or saying something that's sarcastic. Think about your words. Think about how you act. Engage correctly with those around you. And he goes, honestly, he's like, what you need to be doing, you older guys, is setting an example for them by doing what is good. So that these guys know that they need to show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech so that they can't be condemned. And that when people see them, they go, something's different. Young guys, and that's all of us in this room, because usually there's always somebody older than you. All right? 
What you need to realize is that we need to be mindful of how we're representing Jesus to this world. That we need to be cautious with how we speak, what we say, how we think, what we look at. Because how we do all those things shows people who Jesus Christ is in our lives. And he's saying, young men, own it. Step up to the plate. There is no free pass. You don't get to go, it's not my time yet. Mm -mm, It is, step up. He goes, this is who you are. Step up so your community sees Jesus Christ in you. So they don't see you elevating self, they see you elevating Christ because they want to know what's going on in your life. The last group that Paul talks about are the slaves. And this is the part where we're like, is Paul advocating for slavery here? Because he says, he he says, uh, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to please them, not talk back, not to steal, but uh, I don't like that. Seems like Paul is advocating for slavery. I would actually argue that Paul is very much opposed to slavery. In fact, if you were to go into the New Testament and open up to the book of Philemon, you would almost see Paul's thesis on why slavery is bad. And Paul is not a proponent of slavery. In fact, what Paul is saying is like, look, I've been talking to you about whatever community you are a part of. You need to represent Christ in that community. You need to be a visible, tangible representation of Jesus Christ to the people who are around you. And he goes, the reality is this, that there are hard communities that we are a part of. And slavery is arguably one of the worst. You still have to represent Jesus. When it's difficult, when you're at work and you can't stand your boss and you're ready to quit. In fact, you have your two weeks notice drafted. It doesn't mean you get a free pass on not representing Jesus. When you're at school and it's difficult because you get picked on, it doesn't mean you get to lash out and punch somebody and knock their teeth out. You still need to represent Jesus. We don't get a free pass, and that is what Paul is advocating for here. That we have to have this opportunity to engage in people's lives, to be the representation of Christ to the world, even when it's difficult. And he speaks into all these different communities. Notice he doesn't say, slaves, run away and hide. He goes, no, dig in deeper. Show those people who's boss. And by that, I mean show them who is boss. Show them Jesus. That's what he's advocating for. Within our communities, we are to represent Christ to them at all moments. So what do we actually learn about community? The first thing we learn is this. Community is not one-sided. Community is not one-sided. Everybody has something to contribute. Everybody. From the littles all the way to the seasoned, right? Every one of us has something to contribute. And what we need to realize is that when we engage in community, we don't engage just to receive. We also engage to give out. All right? And what we need to realize is we have to have the appropriate inflow to generate outflow. If you go back to verse 1, when it talks about knowing sound doctrine, what Paul is saying is like, look, you need to be square in your relationship with Jesus. If you find that you're not engaging with community or you just feel bitter about it, maybe you need to assess what your relationship with Jesus is like. Because arguably, if you have a transactional relationship with Jesus, if you think it's about, hey, I prayed, God gives, if you think that's how Christianity works, you're missing out. Because Christianity is relational. God established a relationship with us, not a transaction. He established a relationship, and that's how we're to look at community. We're to look at it not as this transactional thing where I do something, now you reciprocate. It's I give and receive as God so intends. That's what community is supposed to look like. Because then when we have a right relationship with Jesus, our inflow fills us up so our outflow comes out of the overflow. 
That's what God has designed us for. But we also have to understand that community isn't meant to happen only when it's convenient for me. You guys ever have that happen? Like maybe somebody calls you and you, you look at your phone and you're like, oh, that's the boss. I know they want me to have an extra, extra shift, but I don't know. I like sleeping. Voicemail, right? Anybody do that or am I just the only sinner here? I, okay. Um, or like you, you get this one. Ooh, that's a text from, from our leader of our small group. Billy Bob needs help moving. I don't like Billy Bob. Sick. Send. Right? That one word response, they really think we're sick, and we're like, oh, dying can barely put anything in the text. Ugh. Right. Voice text works. Um, or like, how about like, ooh, that's the pastor. They said they wanted to get coffee. We all know pastors, they're long-winded. It's going to be a lot longer than coffee. It's going to go to dinner. I just don't know if I want to give them that much time. Hey, sorry, something came up. How ambiguous can I be? Send. Right? And we sit there and like, we laugh because we're like, oh, crap, he knows. I did that to him last week. Sorry, I know I talk a lot. But like, the reality is like, it's not just about when it's convenient. Oftentimes, community means dying to self so we can help others, so we can help and encourage others. It means sharing life with one another, being willing to engage holistically with one another, even when it's difficult. And especially for you, if you have been hurt by community, I get it. Because it's easy to say, I've been hurt by this in the past because I gave and gave and gave. Christ didn't stop, why should we? Christ gave and gave and gave until he died, and then he gave and gave again until he rose, and he gave and gave again until those he has called have been saved. We are to represent Christ to our communities. That means we give without looking to receive back. But let me explain something. That when we all function with that mentality, you keep getting back. Because people keep giving. Community isn't meant to happen only when it's convenient. Community also means leading and being led. And that's important for us to hear because, like, there are some people who are just, you know, innately designed to be leaders, and there are some people who are like, I'm okay with being led. But the reality is that community is not meant to just be one-sided, where you just lead or be led. It's meant to be holistic. That's why I believe Paul doesn't give ages as to who is old and who's not. Because we're all supposed to be leading and being led. Arguably, every one of us should have somebody pouring into our lives, discipling you, and making us a mentee as they walk with us. I have the privilege of having quite a few men pour into my life, and I I can honestly tell you, without those guys, I wouldn't be here today. Because those guys have trained and equipped me to be better at being a leader. But in order for them to train and equip me, I had to be led. We all need that in our lives. The other thing about community I think we learn from this text is this. It's intergenerational. I think it's the beautiful thing about community. They have the older people pouring into the younger people all the way down to the trickle-down effect. It's really cool. And you see this throughout this text. It's one of the coolest things, I think, personally, about this text is that it's supposed to be about doing life with all ages. It's something I think we do pretty well here, actually, at the church. In fact, I have some pictures I want to show you. This first set of slides is actually from our crew week a couple weeks back. And remember how I said that um, Paul doesn't give an age? That top left photo, that's one of our middle school boys leading a group of children. 
doing exactly what Paul has called him to. In that picture, he's the older guy. How cool is that? And then you have all these adults, parents, grandparents, who are leading in the lives of children a couple weeks ago, pointing them, shepherding them, guiding them in intergenerational community. Or if we think back a little bit further, how about we go to Palm Sunday, to the core baptisms. And the Mart family didn't know they were going to be up here this morning, right? But I think this is one of the coolest pictures of intergenerational community that you can ever have. When Craig Mart, our middle school pastor, and his wife Joanna had the opportunity to baptize their daughter Cassie with her entire small group and small group leaders behind her watching. That's intergenerational community. Or when one of our elders, Mark Wakefield, got to baptize one of his small group boys. And that small group boy, the first person he asked to baptize him was Mark. And I think the picture on that boy's face says it all. That's intergenerational community. Or when Olivia Kerman and her parents got got to be a part of baptism with her entire small group flanking the stage because there were so many of them. And her brother Nathan, who just got baptized right there with her. That's intergenerational community. We went narrow. We did two individual ministries. What if we went whole church? What if we looked at what we did with Beyond the Walls last year? I love every one of these pictures because you have communities here of all ages. You have little kids in every picture. You have high school and middle school kids in these pictures. You have parents and grandparents, college students, millennials. You name it, they're all in these pictures. That's what community is designed to be. And arguably, because of everything that happened on those days, we have now begun new communities that we are invested in. The bottom left is when a huge group of people from Hershey Free went to Downey Elementary. Because they realized in that community, the majority of people were pulling out. And Hershey Free said, no, we're going to step in. And in that moment, what happened is this relationship that we had with Downey has now exploded. Exploded to the point that in a few weeks' time, we were taking students down there, the host of VBS, to continue to bless that community, to see what God is going to continue to afford to this group of people. That's what community does. When you allow for your inflow, for God to fill you up, your natural response is to engage in community, even if it means you're not receiving all the time, but you're constantly giving because you see the benefits. Because people start walking with Jesus, because lives are changed for the kingdom of heaven. That is what community is. So in thinking through this, what does this actually look like then when we think about applying this in our lives? I think, first of all, what we need to understand is we need to model community and discipleship to those around us. We don't get a free pass to just sit on the sidelines. God doesn't call us to a passive faith, but one that is active and vibrant. We don't get a pass. We have to engage in community. We have to model this for other people. And I know that word discipleship can be scary because we're like, I don't know if I'm equipped to be a disciple. I don't have that spiritual gift. Neither did the fishermen that Jesus called. And yet, after a year's time, those guys were out changing the world. It's pretty cool. And discipleship is this. You share life with somebody. You pour into them. You're building community with them. You're modeling who Jesus is to them. You admit where you fall short, and you encourage them to be who God has called them to be. That's discipleship. You're sharing life with others. We're also to begin leading others and be willing to be led. That means for a lot of us that we need to maybe take some time and to say, hey, do I need to step back? Do I need to let others speak? Because I'll tell you my problem is, I said it earlier, I'm a talker. 
mean, you talk to any of the students in, in core. Talk to my wife. She'll tell you she can't get a word in edgewise half the time with me. I just go. That's why George hired me. All right? He's like, you talk, talk. Right? But here's the thing. Sometimes for those of us who are talkers, we need to shut up. Because there's people in our communities who need to be heard. And those people who need to be heard, step up and lead. Let your voice be heard. Because in the community that is modeling Christ to the world, we should be respecting one another and loving as we continue to give and continue to give and as it's reciprocated to each one. We also need to then step up and serve in our sphere of influence. We talked about earlier how, you know, uh, Paul was like, hey, be busy at home. Let me encourage you to think about what communities, what spheres of influence you're a part of. Not just here at church. Your neighborhoods, your homes, your jobs, your clubs, your schools. Whatever community you're a part of. Do people know who you are? Do they see Jesus in you? Step up and serve in that area. If it's at home, start serving your family. Commit to maybe turning these off when you get home for the day and putting them down. Commit to having intentional time building relationships. If it's your neighborhood, commit then to pouring into your neighbors and letting them see who Jesus Christ in you by serving them. Maybe it's by going around without being asked mowing their lawn. Even if they have a yard company that comes and does it, do it and don't, don't accept payment. Let them see Christ in you. Let them see why we're different. If it's at school and it's with that teacher nobody likes, you honor them by not talking about them behind their back. The same can be said about our jobs, that we respect and honor those who are there. And then lastly, and I can't emphasize this one more, more than, I don't know, it's just, I think it's one of the biggest things about this is that we have to be willing to self-assess. Because I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to take a hard look at our lives if we're struggling with community and what's going on and to say, is my relationship with Jesus Okay. Have I been looking at it as more of a transactional relationship? I pray you give rather than an actual relational commitment. Because if that's the case, it's going to drastically alter how we engage in our communities. If you find yourself saying, I give, I give, I give, nobody gives back. Let me encourage you to take some time and think through that, to critically assess and to ask what is going on in my relationship with Jesus and in my relationship with this community to see if there's things I need to change. Originally, I was going to show you guys a movie clip, but because our, our, our computers haven't been working, I'm just going to explain it to you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you to go home and rent the movie and watch it. That's, that's, your, that's your homework for the day. Serve in your communities, love others, and go watch Finding Nemo. Okay? Really simple. I mean, this is not hard. In fact, you could do this. You could serve your community, love your community, but you say, come over, we're going to watch Finding Nemo, and we're going to talk about how this relates to Jesus. All right? But if you know the movie, right, there's this little fish named Nemo, right? And Nemo's kind of this little fish. He's super timid, super shy, arguably because his dad has never let him experience life, right? And what happens is Nemo goes on this, like, journey. He gets lost and goes away. His dad goes to find him, yada, 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 right? And, like, they go to find him. And eventually, dad finds Nemo. And he's got all these new friends. There's Dory, who's confused and never knows what's happening, right? And what goes on is he comes up, and at the end of the film, what happens to Dory? She gets caught in the net. Right? With a bunch of mackerel. And she's stuck. And they're, they're, they're pulling her up. And, and Nemo's like, Dad, we have to save Dory. 
And he's like, no, Nemo, I just got you back. And I'm overprotective. I'm that helicopter fish, right? It's not okay. And Nemo goes, Dad, I have an idea. We have to get everybody to swim down. Because they're pulled, being pulled up in this net. And they're getting pulled higher, 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 higher. And in a few moments' time, they're going to become sushi. And it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> and Nemo swims in and he finds Dory and he goes, Dory, Dory. We have to tell them to swim down. Swim down. We have to swim down. And outside the net, Nemo's dad is telling the whole group, he's like, swim down. Do you hear me? Swim down. And if, you, if you've seen the movie, you know the scene. All the mackerel are going all different directions. Nobody's doing anything. There's, there's this community of fish, but they're all trying to do it themselves. And because of one little fish who arguably was never a leader who stepped up and led, he got everybody to start chanting. Ready? Swim down. Swim down. Swim down down. And what happens is all of a sudden they start pulling the entire net. They start tipping the boat. The net breaks and they all swim free. And arguably Hershey free, what I would challenge you with today is swim down. Swim down in your communities. Bear with them. Stick with them. Pour into them. Let them see Jesus in you as you lead out and show them who Christ is. Swim down. We are not crafted for a life of isolation. We are crafted for a life of community with Jesus Christ and fellow believers. And the way that we grow in relationship with fellow believers is by pointing other people to Jesus so they can enter into relationships with him as well. Hershey Free, swim down together. Let us be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven.